We give each other gifts, but the greatest gift that was ever given was the gift of Jesus Christ and eternal life. You know, to think about that eternal life in a place where there is no more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain. We get a new body. Yeah. And uh, no more hunger, no more thirst, but we get to eat. And we have all we can eat and never gain a pound. Yeah. All the angel food cake you want. It's a fantastic thing, and all because God so loved the world that he gave us the gift of Jesus Christ. That's the greatest gift ever. That's the gift we want to remember. And here's the thing. God had planned to give this gift a long time ago. And in the scriptures that he gave to the Hebrews, he explained that he was going to send a son. He was going to send Jesus. And he gave him some information about that. We're going to trace a little bit of that this morning. It goes all the way back to the very beginning in Genesis where God promised a son. But let's go through these uh, in Numbers 24, 17. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. That is a prophecy about Jesus Christ. Clear back in the book of Numbers. Then the prophet Isaiah, he writes in Isaiah 7:14, the Lord himself will choose the sign a child will be born to a virgin, and she shall call his name Emmanuel, meaning God is with us. That's a long, long time before Jesus actually came along and was born to a virgin. We'll get to that a little later. Then Isaiah in 9, verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Then Micah, the prophet, tells the place where Jesus was going to be born. Almost 700 years before Jesus comes. O Bethlehem, you are but a small Judean village, Yet you'll be birthplace of my king, who is alive from everlasting ages past. That's pretty interesting. 700 years before, he talks about Bethlehem as a small village. How would he know 700 years before what Bethlehem was going to be and the size of it? It's no small village today, but it was then. Then Jeremiah the prophet, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness, a king. So out of the line of David, a king himself, and the first chosen by God king, would come Jesus. 
Then in Malachi, Malachi promised in the last chapter of the Old Testament book that the Son of Righteousness will arise with healing in his beams, Micah 4.2. But for you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. All those, and there's many more. <laughs> We'd be here all day, and uh, we don't have time. In fact, it's going to be a short sermon today. Hallelujah! <laughs> because we had baptisms, yeah. And we had Advent candles, yeah. So the sermon's going to be short. Just like the pastors at, at the door greeting people on the way out, and, one lady says, uh, what happened to your face? He says, well, I was thinking about the sermon this morning, and I cut myself. And next time she says, well, why don't you think about your shaving and cut the sermon? What <laughs> <coughs> 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 are those supporters? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> It's like the little kid came up to the pastor and said, you know what, pastor says, when I get older and get some money, I'm going to give you some money. He said, well, that's very kind of you. Why do you say that? Because my dad says, you're the poorest preacher we've ever had. (laughs) If you only knew. (laughs) All right. The next scripture we have... Excuse me. What's the next scripture we have? Galatians 4 4. All right, so. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. So this was, catch the first part, in the fullness of time. God has a plan and it unfolds according to his planning you know God has a plan for your life as well he knows exactly everything that your life holds he knows when you're going to come to him (laughs) he knows what kind of a Christian you'll be and he's not surprised about anything you do Now, I'll tell you, my parents were often surprised with some of the things I did. (laughs) I can't believe you did that. But God's never surprised. And there's great teaching in that alone, to think God loves us in spite of who we are. (laughs) He loves us warts and all. He loves us and cares about us and has a plan for us. In Ephesians, it says, 2.10, for we're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good things, for good works, which he's already planned in advance for us to do. You don't have to come to Jesus and say, okay, now I'll map out a plan. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. No, no. All you have to do is say, okay, what is the plans? What plans do you have for me? I know they're good plans. So these plans that come out, and Jesus came because God planned his coming. He knew 
that we need a Savior. Matthew 1.1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, and then it goes on and lists out the lineage from Abraham all the way through to Joseph and Mary. In the book of Matthew is the lineage of Joseph. In the book of Luke is the lineage of Mary. Both of them have the kingly David as part of their lineage. Let's see, we want to go to uh, Luke 1, 32 and 33. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Now, the first king that was chosen to Israel by God, they chose their own. Remember, they chose Saul because he was taller than everybody else. Let's get the big guy. (laughs) But Samuel, remember, he went out to anoint the king and brought all the sons before. And Samuel's going, this this is a good candidate. This is a good candidate. God said, no. What about this one? No. What about this one? Finally, he says, is there anybody left? He said, well, I got my kid out there watching the sheep, which was the lowliest thing on the rung, if you were on, if you're at the end of the line there, you got to do that job. That's the one Samuel anoints as king. And who is the other one he anoints as king? Is Jesus. Jesus is anointed as king. And here's an interesting thing. I find interesting anyway. Jesus was born as a king, but not in a way of a king wasn't born in a nice palace. He wasn't born with all the pomp and circumstance and all the other things that go with it. He wasn't even recognized. The first ones to be the witnesses were shepherds who in that day and age weren't even allowed in court to testify because they were considered not to be trustworthy. You couldn't trust what they said. Those were the first ones that are the witnesses to Jesus' birth. The shepherds. But you know who did signify that Jesus was a king? The magi that come from the east. Some two years later by the time they got there. They, magi, were the wealthy people who were of a certain class that also read the stars and saw times and places in it. And Daniel, (laughs) who was in Babylon, was raised to chief of the Magi. And guess what he told them? He told them there's going to come a time when a king will be born in Israel. And you'll see it because a star will rise. And when you see that star, you know that the king is born. So they came, not three, Three, about the fifth century, they decided there were three of them because there were three gifts, right? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Well, since there's three gifts, there must have been three kings. Well, they weren't kings. They were magi, magistrates in a sense. 
And they came to honor the king that was born. And they go to Herod and they say, where is this king? Where is he? Herod says, king, there better not be another king. I don't want another king. What's going on with the king? You remember Herod wasn't very happy about the whole thing? Well, hey, when you find him, come and tell me so I may worship him too. That was his intentions. His intentions were to kill the baby. But God sent the Magi, and the Magi worshipped him as king. So the first ones to see Jesus as king were the Magi. Interesting. This was no ordinary birth. This birth was amazing. Second of all, we find out in Matthew chapter 1, starting at verse 18. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. This is in the, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation, which is more of a modern English translation. It's an actual translation. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man, did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to call his name Jesus, the one who saves. For he will save his people from their sins. All this occurred to fulfill the message through the prophet Isaiah. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She'll give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. Interesting story here. If you understand the Jewish culture, children to get married, basically. <laughs> if, if he said that your 12-year-old was going to get married, you go, not my 12-year-old. No, not ready. They're not ready at 25 anymore, you know. Where <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> do you live? At home. But, they <laughs> but in those days, in those days, at the age of 12, they've entered into adulthood. And so Mary was probably between 12 and 14 years old. 12 and 14. Now, we always see this, you know, 28-year-old woman looking very nice and everything else, but that was, no, she was a child. Between 12 and 14, that's young. Can you remember back that far? Do you remember back that far, Lisa? <laughs> 12 years old? <laughs> and Joseph wasn't much older. You remember in the musical Sound of Music? 
<clears throat> you are 16 going on 17. I am 17. <laughs> I'll take care of you. So Joseph wasn't much older, between probably 16 and 17 years old, when they were betrothed to one another. Now the betrothal, engagement in the Jewish culture was usually the parents would be the ones who would say that marriage was okay. And uh, they would give gifts to each other as part of the marriage contract. It's actually a contract that was made. And it was so strong that in order to break an engagement, it would cause the one who wanted to break it to write a bill of divorcement. In other words, they had to get divorced from engagement. That's how serious it was in those days. And you can imagine that Mary looking forward, and, and you know, they tell me girls look forward to marriage till they get in it, and then they say, what did I do? I mean, but <laughs> I didn't say that, race that. But they, <laughs> you know, you have dreams. Oh, wonderful, it's going to be so great to have a husband, it's going to be wonderful, we're going to be, he's going to love me and care for me and nurture me and all these, it's going to be so wonderful, just great. So they have these dreams, and they have them from the time they're very young, and they're looking forward to that. You ever see uh, Fiddler on the Roof? You get some glimpse of, you know, matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. They, they're looking forward to marriage. So I'm sure Mary had all these wonderful feelings and thoughts of what it's going to be like. And here was this young, handsome Joseph, carpenter's son. She's going to be married to him. It was going to be a fantastic thing. And then all of a sudden, an angel appears to her and tells her that she's going to be, have a child. As a virgin, she's going to have a child. No sexual relationship, but she's going to have a child. And so she becomes with child. And can you imagine her trying to tell Joseph about this? Because it was a terrible thing. It was a horrible disgrace if you were to be pregnant outside of marriage. And so... Mary has to tell Joseph, um, I, I've got a little problem. <laughs> An angel appeared to me. Uh-huh. This is going to be a good one. And told me I was going to have a baby. And sure enough, I'm pregnant. Uh-huh. An angel told you, huh? Well, that's a new one. I'm going to have to ponder this. I'm going to have to consider this. I've got to figure out how I'm going to handle this situation. And you've got to remember that Joseph has to be horribly disappointed because he too was looking forward. They had, they had made this covenant together, this, this contract together that they were going to spend their lives together. And he was looking forward to marriage too. Same thing. Guys look forward to it. I can remember when I was in college, and I only say this once and never to be repeated again. When I was in college... I, I was looking forward to whoever God was going to send to me. And my roommate and I, we would uh, grab our pillows and we'd just almost be in tears. Oh, God, please send the right person to us. I wanted, I wanted to be married. It's said in the scripture, it's not good for man to live alone. And I just changed that. It's not good for David to live alone. 
I was a youth pastor at the local church, and, and I, as I got up one Sunday morning, I realized I hadn't ironed my white shirt for church. So I didn't have much time, so I only ironed the front. As long as you're wearing a coat, who knows what the back looks like. So it's all nice and freshly ironed, and I have my coat on. And I was single. One of the, and you know when you're single, some things happen to you. That is parents in the church want to introduce you to their daughter. So they invite you over for dinner. Well, you know what? I wasn't opposed to having dinner. Because if I cooked, it wasn't, <laughs> you know. Anyway, so I, I went to, to, to have dinner with them. And I forgot that I hadn't ironed the back of my shirt. They said, can we take your coat? I said, sure. I took it off, and there it was. <laughs> we all have dreams. We all have desires. Joseph had desires. Joseph wanted to be married. And it, now it was just the worst possible scenario is that his betrothed was with child. But his heart was that he cared about Mary. Didn't want her to be disgraced. So he thought, well, here's what I'll do. I'll just put her kind of away privately. We won't make a big deal. This won't. We'll just kind of keep the thing hidden. And he goes to bed that night, and who shows up? An angel. And the angel says, hey, Joseph, this is my interpretation. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Because the one who she is pregnant with is from the Holy Spirit. Now, imagine the emotions and everything else going on in his head. I'll tell you, I have a little bit of an idea. Because when I met Denise, my wife, she was, we were at college together. I was finishing up a five-year program. Those four-year programs. <laughs> I, I had decided that I was going to do three majors. <laughs> Smart guy. Uh, and so I was going for another term to get this all done. And uh, Denise came in as a freshman that year. And it was my job and my friend Charlie's job to, you know, to, to see which kind of crop was coming in. <laughs> and uh, I saw this one chick was really nice. So uh, can, I, can I use that word chick? <laughs> I don't know anymore, I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway, this beautiful woman, how's that? And I'm, so we invited him over uh, to our apartment because if you were a senior, you could live off campus. It was a Christian college, very conservative Christian college. And uh, so she came over. Charlie uh, wanted to embarrass me. Charlie says, hey, Dave. 
Why don't you play for the record you got a solo on? All right, knock it off. And Denise says, I'd like to hear it. Sold! <laughs> and when we started to date, and then I realized I'm five years older than Denise is. Five years. And in those days, in a conservative atmosphere, I figured that wasn't going to fly. So I really had my dreams broken, and I knew I had to break up with Denise. I knew I had to do it. So I took her out to dinner, drove her back to the dorm, and I had this whole thing prepared. And I was listening out, you know, here's, what's, here's the situation. Five years older than you are. And, uh, my closing argument was, my closing argument was, what would your parents think? Because parents in the past, five years, and uh, without skipping a beat, Denise says, well, my dad was a senior and my mother was a freshman and they got married. <laughs> so I said, okay. So I got a feeling somewhat that is what happened with Joseph. When the angel said, it's okay, he goes, okay. <laughs> That's just my interpretation. Because I'd be tickled pink if I get to marry the girl you wanted to marry all along. And it was, you know, that's pretty cool. And the fact that she is going to have the son of God, that's pretty cool too. So Mary and Joseph are a very interesting couple to watch as they go through this process. Angels, miraculous birth, Mary being a virgin, both young. God does a miracle. God does a miracle. You know, here's the thing. We never know what God has in store for us. Never know. She wasn't expecting it. Certainly not. He comes in and he says, you're highly favored. And if she's like most young girls, who are you talking to? <laughs> I don't feel highly favored, but, but she was highly favored. Why? Because God chose her for a special thing. God's chosen for a special thing. God has chosen you for a special thing. It's true. It's God who does the miracles. We're just along for the ride. We're not in charge of anything. We're only his servant. We're only the one who listens and hears and follows what he has for us. I've been watching the story of Lonnie Frisbee, who was an evangelist in the late 60s. He was hippie. You know, you know what hippies were? <laughs> Some of you remember hippies, you know. Long hair, moo-moos. <laughs> he was a hippie, and, and uh, Chuck Smith, who was a proper pastor, you know, thought, why don't those guys get a haircut and take a bath? <laughs> he really thought they were kind of 
Not so good, these hippies. His wife, however, would say to him, honey, they need the Lord as much as anybody else. She would cry over him. Chuck Smith said, kind of weird. She said, I'd like to meet one of these hippies. So his daughter was dating a friend who had, had a hippie friend, having to be Lonnie Frisbee. And Lonnie, long hair and a beard, kind of looked like what you might think Jesus looked like, you know, came and he blew Chuck Smith's mind. He says, you didn't think hippies could get saved, did you? Well, I belong to Jesus. And he was witnessing to anybody and everybody. He'd, in this hippie clothing, barefoot, and a Bible in his hand, would walk around. He'd talk to anybody, and he'd start telling them about Jesus. And people started getting saved. And people started getting saved. And people started getting saved. And I'm talking hundreds of people started getting saved. They go down to the beach to hold baptisms. And the beach would be full. And they would baptize people in the ocean. Hundreds of people coming to Jesus from this kid who had no background whatsoever. He'd never been to cemetery, a seminary. <laughs> Sorry, I show my prejudice. Sometimes I think it is a cemetery. He didn't have any of that. didn't have any training. But you know what he had? He had the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, he had no idea that you couldn't do things. You know, he didn't think anything of it. When the blind men came and said that he wanted to see, he just said, in the name of Jesus, you can see. In the name of Jesus, he saw. He didn't have the prejudice if you can't do that. That was for a time that long ago, they don't do that anymore. No. Whatever the Spirit wants to do, let it go. You never know what God has in store for you. But if you would just be like Mary or Joseph, and you're willing to let God bless you, you're willing to be used of God. Your heart is tender and soft toward him. And then watch out. Watch out what God's going to do. Because there isn't anything that's impossible for God. Right? Nothing is impossible for God. Which means that if you're God's child, nothing is impossible for you either. Because God's the one who gives the power. I've seen people healed miraculously over and over again. I'll tell you, I had zero to do with it other than the one maybe who prayed. That's all I did. All I did was pray. That's not much in the sense. But God does the miracle. It's God's power. And so who gets the glory? To God be the glory. Great things he has done. And great things he will continue to do. Why? Because he's a great God. He's a great God. He does great things. And it pleases him greatly to do them through the least expected one. 
Remember Gideon? Gideon was the last in his tribe, and his tribe was the last there was. And when it came to combat, they held to the rear gladly. Gideon was no mighty man of valor at all. He was quite the opposite. In fact, he's hiding in the threshing floor from the Mennonites, and he's threshing wheat. You know what usually drives the chaff from the wheat? Wind. He's hiding inside with the threshing floor. <laughs> he had to, had to provide his own wind. <laughs> I mean, that's how I picture it. And an angel appears and says, Oh, mighty man of valor. Reminds me of Don Knotts. <laughs> Who are you talking to? You're going to lead an army against the enemy. So gather 30,000 men. They all come, and he says, I got too many. 30,000, that's only a small percentage of who we're going up against. You, under, you, you do understand this, Lord, don't you? I mean, just in case you don't understand tactics, there are a lot more dim than there is us. Ain't going to work. Got too many. Got down to 3,000. Too many. 3,000 3, <laughs> 3, is too many. Too many. Have them go down there and drink out of the water. And how they drink out of the water will tell you who you're going to have left. You know who he ends up with? 300. 300. 300 going against this huge, huge army. But God had a plan. And guess who won? God won. Was it because of Gideon's bravery? Or was it because of Gideon's obedience? You got it. God may ask you to do something. You go, oh, I can't do that. I can't teach middle school. Well, maybe not. I, maybe it's a... No. Whatever God has for you, he knows what he's doing. And he finds glory in choosing the least likely to do the greatest things. Lonnie Frisbee, this short, small, I'm small, not short, but small little guy, leading hundreds to Jesus Christ because of his passion and love for Jesus. I lived there in Orange County at the time. I, I saw it happen. I was there. I've been to Calvary Chapel when it was jam full. I remember hearing the kids at school talk about, you got to go there, they're fantastic music. They had, did have fantastic music, by the way. But people were getting saved left and right. I mean, they were getting saved all over the place. People were going one way. They just, this was a sign. Not the other finger, it was this one. One way to Jesus. There was a sense and a, and a charisma and a, and a, I don't know how to describe it, the Spirit of God moving. I'll let a Bible study, I'm closing with this. 
I led a Bible study. Six kids came to me and they said, we wanted to know more about Jesus. So we want to start a Bible study. I said, fine. So we started a Bible study. And the, somehow the word got out that we were having a party. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is how God works. It's really funny. We're going to have a party. So a whole bunch of what they had in Orange County was junior high school, 7th, 8th, and ninth graders. <clears throat> about 20 of them, no, about 10, of, 10 or 12 of them showed up, plus the ones that we already had. And I was teaching them because they want to know more about the Bible. I was teaching on Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beg you by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is a reasonable service. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may be able to prove what that good, acceptable, perfect will of God is. I'm going faster than I did for them. What junior higher someone was, I beg you, therefore, brothers. <laughs> and also Galatians uh, 2.20. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. I'm going on. I'm doing this. Event. I had it nailed. I was teaching this deep stuff. And these junior hires are going, writing notes back and forth to each other. Didn't stop me, because I just keep going. Then we came to the end. I said, we're going we're gonna to pray. And, and God says to me, I felt God saying, don't start praying. Ask if anybody else wants to pray first. So I said, we're going to go into a time of prayer, and if you want to pray, you just go ahead. Junior hires and some high school kids, crickets, nobody was going to move. Then all of a sudden I heard this kid sobbing, a guy who was just crying, could barely talk. He says, God, if you're real and you're there, please, please, come into my life. Well, turns out he was the captain of the football team. And several of the football players are with him. And they all knew this kid. And they're going, something's going on here. All the cheerleaders that came with you, look at how the girls follow the boys. That's how you did youth ministry. Get the boys and girls. Anyway, all these cheerleaders immediately are sober. And one by one, they accepted Jesus into their hearts without me telling them what to do. I didn't tell them anything. They all prayed right from their heart to God. The upstart of that is, week after week, we had between six and eight kids getting saved every week. Over 300 kids from the junior high they came from got saved within a few months. I can tell you more about that, but I'm just going to tell you, I live that. You never know what God has in store for you. This fellowship could explode. And we're getting people saved, and we need to get people saved. We need to let people know about the love of God. We need more baptisms of people who want to be disciples of Jesus Christ, to follow him. We need the enthusiasm. We need the fire. We need that stirring of the Holy Spirit to move us. Christmas is a great time to see the miracles begin. It's a great time. Father in heaven, we thank you.
because you're a God who can't be concealed, but you are a God that can be revealed. You're a God who loves us for who we are, not for what we think we ought to be. <clears throat> you are one who wants to come into our lives and change them and move us in a different direction and give us confidence before you. You're one who wants to pour out your spirit upon us that others may receive from you through us. I pray that you make us a blessing. I pray that you make us a light in the darkness. I pray that we become bold to share what you've done with us. I pray that our hearts will grow warmer and stronger and on fire that we won't be lukewarm. But the fervency of your spirit will grow in us to a place where we can't hold it in any longer. We just bubble over. Like rivers of water coming forth. Those waters that come from you. Your love abounds in us so much we can't contain it. It splashes on all those around us. And you bring people to yourself. I pray for revival in our hearts. I pray for revival in this church. I pray for revival in this community. I pray that it begins right here. That you will touch our lives. This Christmas can be so much different because of what you're going to do. We pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.